Kevin is here, and I'm honored that you have joined us once again for another stimulating, amazing, stupendous Be Contagious Leadership Experience podcast. Today, we've got another great guest. Actually, it's Dr. Chris Hobbs. Now, Dr. Hobbs is the athletic director at the King's Academy, but what you're going to hear is basically an unedited version of how it became a podcast. We actually jumped on a phone call not thinking at all that it was going to be a podcast, and in the middle of it, and you'll hear it in the recording, I'll say, you know what, Chris, we're going to make this into a podcast. So we did. You'll hear everything that that we talked about from leadership, communication, culture, uh, from his journey from being up in the Northeast and how he made it all the way down to Florida. You'll hear a little bit of my journey. Hopefully you won't get too bored, but I'm going to tell you what. This is what you need to do. Grab a glass of wine or a beverage of your choice, break out a notebook, and enjoy the nuggets that Dr. Chris Hobbs has for you. Guys, before we get started, I want to talk to you about the power of gratitude. It is the missing superpower when it comes to our players, our coaches, our family members, everyone. You know, so I encourage you to head over to HernandoPlanels.com. We've put together a great 30-day gratitude journal called the High Performing Gratitude Journal. It's designed for your athletes, for your coaches, for your people to increase performance each and every day. You are going to unleash the power of gratitude and you will reach levels in your life that you can't even imagine. So head over to the website, HernandoPlanels.com. Hope you pick it up and I'll talk to you soon. Hernando, where in where in the country are you right now? Now I'm in Richmond, Virginia. So okay. Okay. Yeah, I, was, I was working on a... Uh, so I, I, I coach, but then I also do sports choreography on film and TV. So I was working on a TV show here. And then of okay. course, with everything that happened, it got shut down so yeah yep. i don't want to say i'm stuck in richmond because i do like richmond but i'm here <laughs> <laughs> there's other places that maybe are a little bit more desirable um but um uh, i lived uh seven years in manassas virginia so about 90 minutes north oh. of where you are right now um, okay. and uh so i've lived right outside dc i've lived right side of new york city right outside of philly i'm now down in west palm beach florida let me tell you something the traffic in washington dc Nothing like it, man. It is crazy up there. So, so Ornado, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your background. I just listened to your podcast real fast to try and oh. get a feel for what you got going on. Uh, that was super cool. Talk to me a little bit. What's going on in your life? Man, so, so I, I grew up in Los Angeles. And so I understand when you say traffic. I totally understand. What yes, you do. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of have had like a different... I guess sports career, coaching career. So, you know, I was a high school coach. I was a junior college coach. I coached in three different countries. Um, but then in between, I would choreograph sports scenes on film and TV. But I got into that because I was a coach on that show, Slam Ball. I don't know if you remember full yeah. contact. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. So Some of the greatest memes in the world come yeah. from Slam Ball. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I did that. And then um, – and, and so always – chasing whatever it was you know I, I all I wanted to do is I just want to stay in sports it didn't it didn't matter yeah I got married when I was 21 22 years old um so you know I'm going through that you know trying to have a marriage and kids and then trying to chase this craziness because I just kind of believed myself that I, I could go the safe route and get into insurance or, or or sell whatever but then when I tell my kids hey you guys can be anything you want where's the example they're going to look for outside people, yeah. for example. So I said, all right, let me take a chance on myself. Didn't know what that was going to look like. So that meant 
being everywhere. And I tell everybody like the experiences sound amazing, but they're extreme highs and extreme lows. Like yeah. there's nothing in between where you're like, all right, I'm cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. I spent, you know, coaching in Japan and the Philippines. I was in the NBA uh, G D league at the time with Maine. Okay. Um, and then uh, I, I was 35 years old. I got back from the Philippines and, and I had done the Duke men's and women's camp every year. Okay. And the coach at Duke, I kind of knew her family a little bit, not great, but at her camp, I was who, so who was the women's coach at the time there? It's a Joanne McCauley. Same one. Okay. So it was still Joanne. Okay. So Joanne. So, um, and, uh, so I was at her camp and I was just, I'm pretty energetic. So I'm selling her book everywhere. And she's like, Hey, I've got a great low paying non-coaching job <laughs> on my staff. If you're interested, I was like, I'm in. Right. So, so they call me, I'm 35 years at the time now. Right. All right. And, they call me and says, hey, you know, coach wants to hire you. Have you finished college? I was like, no, I haven't. They're like, no, all right, we can't hire you. I was like, all right, thanks. I held the phone. And then uh, I, ca- I thought about it for like 10 minutes. I called back. I said, how much time do I have? She said, you have five weeks. Okay, I'll get it done. So I had two <laughs> classes. I had a speech and a statistics class. All speech right. class, I, I finished like testing out of it. Statistics, I was able to hire a tutor slash someone yep. who helped me get all the work done. Yeah. Um, finish, got my first paycheck. My, my, con- my contract for the year was like 28 grand for the year. <laughs> yeah. Married, two kids in private school, <laughs> all that stuff. Um, so I ended up sleeping like two hours a night because I did that. Yeah. And I worked for Synergy and, and at Synergy, you had to have an address in Florida. So I had a friend who lived in Florida. So I used his address to move. It. I was just, <laughs> so then I, I spent seven years at Duke, um, in that time, you know, I, I, I First, uh, my wife, my ex-wife and kids moved back to California. So then I became a parent from afar. Yeah. Um, and I uh, had great success at Duke. And then a year ago, I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to, you know, in at the same time, like I've, uh, and when you work in so many countries, you work for different leaders, you, you see how people communicate and connect. Yeah. And then yeah. also having kids 3000 miles away, how do you effectively communicate? So I, I had been, I had started a company four years ago called, Pages and I would just talk to different people and everything else. And then, um, so a year ago, I, I, I resigned. I started this TV show. It, it gave me the freedom to go and do talks and, and work with organizations. Um, gave me more time to see my kids. My son's a swimmer at the University of Iowa now. Oh, wow. Awesome. You know, so, and uh, so I do that. And I coach the New Zealand junior national team on top of that so, <laughs> a little side thing a little side thing yeah. you going on new zealand's not close by the way in case you no. were like anyone need to know that new zealand is not close <laughs> it, it is i was there in january for training camp i was there for three days it's like two and a half days of travel right because i'm huh. in, you know virginia to la yeah. and new zealand and then it's like already i do zoom calls with my team at midnight saturday night because it's four o'clock in the afternoon their time on sunday yeah i mean it's yeah. but i i love it man i i can't i'm blessed you know my i haven't lived with my son in seven years because of all this he came here he's been with me the whole time so we do tiktoks we do all sorts of stuff and he started his own podcast i mean he's he's you know as a parent when you like kind of let go and you become their assistant coach then all of a sudden they 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 flourish a little bit so yeah that's that's me orlando two sons no a son and daughter Son and daughter, how old are they? Uh, son is 19, daughter is 17. That's so awesome. That's I'm awesome. In, I'm in the, like, the, the mix of my son wanted to transfer like his first six months. My daughter doesn't respond to text messages. She only responds to Snapchat 
<laughs> Isn't that crazy? You know, so, oh, it's, it's not so, when I do talks with coaches, I said, listen, I know you have this thing about standards. I get it. When I send you a text, respond back to me. But you know what else says that to them? Their parents. You know who they hate? Their parents. So, <laughs> let's try and merge the two. Yeah. So, that's incredible. Now, your daughter, is she a senior in high school or is she a junior? Junior. Junior. So she's a junior. Okay. Yeah. So she's navigating this coronavirus. Hopefully, she will not have to deal with this her senior year. Yeah. So hopefully. She's she, <laughs> like, she used to play sports, and then one day she was like, Dad, I don't want to play basketball anymore. So that's fine. She's yeah. like, so she likes, she does all the singing and performing and all that stuff. So I'm. Um, One of the things that coaches and parents and uh, so many people lose track of is that the entire sport experience hinges on loving it. The whole thing hinges on loving it. Now, like you accept a scholarship. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's dollars at stake now. And so, but everything in those formative years moving through, you know, elementary, middle school, high school, all about, they love it. If they don't love it, like, listen, don't fight it. Do not fight it. Cause quite honestly, at the end of the day, that ball stops bouncing for everyone at some point. Yes. You know, so I hear you. I've got, um, I, I grew up as uh, mostly a basketball player, played small college basketball, loved it, coached for a lot of years, actually just stopped coaching basketball um, on the varsity level just like 12 months ago. Um, wow. But my son's falling in love with distance running weirdest thing yeah. ever, but man, <laughs> he's freaking hardcore about it. All right, go dude, go, go make it happen. You know, you love it. My daughter, my youngest, has fallen in love with uh, volleyball. She plays for some hard-charging club. She plays school ball. And, like, the, the the club scene, you know this, like, the AAUs and all. Like, it's crazy. It, it, oh. is, it is a racket, you know. But I keep telling my wife, as long as she loves it, we'll keep right. figuring out how to pay for it. But That's the right. moment I said she doesn't love it, we are out of here, yeah. you know. And so – and then my oldest, you know, my oldest played multiple sports through high school, but – wasn't really something that got her out of bed in the morning. She enjoyed it, but it yeah. wasn't something. So um, she's, she actually is now done. She's, she's a graduated senior from high school oh. um, without a graduation. Right. Oh <laughs> you know? man. But um, um, so yeah, man, there's just great wisdom and just like, yeah, go do what you want to do, kid. Yeah. Go do what you love. You Th- that so. and there's so much wisdom in paying attention to them. Right. Like, yep. like, and, and so my, my daughter said something really profound. She didn't even know she said it to me, but when she came to visit me at Duke, um, I was going to go take her to a gym that was open so she could shoot. This is when she was playing. I said, yeah, we're going to go to this gym. She's like, dad, do we have to go to that gym? I was like, yeah, it's free. She's like, do you mind if we go somewhere else? I'm like, okay, but why am I asked? She's like, because like you coach at Duke. I was like, all right. She's like, but because you coach basketball, even if you're a high school coach or junior college coach or grade school coach, the pressure is that I'm supposed to be good because you're coach. And I was like, yeah. oh, that really hurts my feelings. I didn't even think, you know, I, I thought I was yeah. being good dad. I was like, come on, let's go shoot. And I was like, yeah. I'm being horrible. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. So, so three kids. So how, what, 18? How old are they? I got 18, 15-year-old son. So an 18-year-old daughter, 15-year-old son, and a 14-year-old daughter. Um, and they're... Um, so I'm a New Jersey native, uh, and I uh, spent about 30 of my 42 years in New Jersey. Um, and then, uh, my wife is also a New Jersey native. We're, we're high school sweethearts. And oh, so, and we're both, if you understand anything about birth order, there's a lot of theories out there that like when you're born in your family has like some connection to your personality traits and stuff like that. And so we're both oldest siblings. 
So we're New Jersey natives, which means our, our, our filters a little thin sometimes. Um, our volume button's broken. Yes. And we're both the oldest siblings, right? Oh. And so like we grew up yelling at younger siblings to do what we wanted them to do. And then we got married and started screaming at each other, trying to tell each other what to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, thankfully, by the grace of God, we figured out how to navigate that. But we have birthed three children that are all kind of in that model. We've birthed three oldest siblings somehow. So. Uh, I, t- listen, I totally believe in that. It's, that's your ad- <laughs> it's that hierarchy with, with everything. It's like the oldest are always the one yelling and, and yelling at everybody. Yep. But they hate being yelled at because we were the, I was, I'm the oldest as well, too. Like, yep. We were all yelled at all the time. So don't yell at me, but I'm going to yell at you. You know? That's right. You grow up bossing everyone around, you yeah, know? And right. So... Um, to make it even more complicated on my side of the family, I was the first grandchild, right? Like, so like, I mean, so I, I got, I got some real issues. I got some real (laughs) deep issues, you know, but, um, so yeah, so uh, family's doing great. Um, my wife's an elementary educator, so she's a teacher. She has figured out in 10 weeks how to provide an online education for six-year-olds, which has been, you know, incredibly intense and complicated. Um, but she's crushed it. Um, she's really creative. She's really passionate. Um, and so there was really no, there was no boundaries. There was no limits, whatever it took, you know? And so she pulled me in on one of her zoom videos with her six-year-olds and they were doing something with shapes and she just pulled me in, sat me right down. And she literally drew the shapes on my head with a Sharpie marker for the (laughs) class, you know, like, and they thought it was awesome that, you know, coach Hobbs was getting his head drawn on, you know, stuff like that. So she's, she's crazy. Um, but yeah, so we're good. Uh, just kind of killed it, and uh, spent some time with John Egan on okay. his okay. Uh, awesome podcast, Studying Failure. Um, I actually reached out to John. I said, John, your podcast is amazing. Um, most of life is about struggle and discomfort, and doing yeah. things we don't want to do, and things not going well. And unfortunately, we live in a time and, and a day and age with social media where we only see the best five seconds of everyone's day or week, right? right? And so we think their entire life is made up of that, and it's not even close to true. And I think. People like you and I, Hernando, that are not, we're not digital natives, meaning we can remember the day before the internet, right. we can remember the day before social media, but we're, we are digital immigrants, meaning like, hey, we've immigrated into this and we know how to use it. Yeah. I think, I, I think people like us have a, a unique perspective that's really valuable because we can see through some of the bullcrap sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, we can fight off some of the negative effects of it. I think social media is an awesome thing. Um, I just think it's complicated sometimes. And so anyway, I saw John's podcast. I thought, you know, you want to talk about cutting through the bullcrap. That is yeah. cutting right through the bullcrap, you know. And he and I connected, and then he ended up connecting me with you. And you know, I was super interested in what you got going on. So yeah. talk to me about sport choreogra- choreography. Like, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> well, so it really starts off. Most people who do movies, I always joke around with the athletes I bring on set. Like, listen, these these guys, like the director, the producer, like they hate you. Like, why do they hate me? They don't even know me. I said, because they were picked last in kickball when you were growing up and you were first and you made fun of them. So they hate you. So they're, they're so, it, you know, production guys, directors, writers are so enamored with the sports world, but they get it based on Twitter and Instagram and these amazing stories when there's so much more than, than just that. Like, real quickly, like, the, you know, the, the, the whole Michael Jordan story, you know, it's great. It's been, it's been awesome. But like, there's this underlying thing on Twitter talking about like, wow, they were smoking cigars and drinking beers. I'm like, you know, they've been doing that for years. Like this isn't like brand new all of a sudden. Okay. So, so, um, so really it comes down to like, you, you get a script and it'll say like, Chris is going to shoot a 20 foot jump shot or drills. Okay, great. Well, 
what does that mean to the story? What does that mean to the character? Where is that in the game? And, and usually directors and producers write like an enormous amount of plays because they want all this stuff to tell a story. But it takes so long to shoot a basketball scene. So, for example, I'll give you a 12-hour day on set, 15-hour day set. You can film probably a max of four plays. That's so incredible. that's them doing the same. And that's because changing camera angles and dialogue and everything. So, so my, my job comes from, you know, choreographing the action, uh, training the actors when they need it, because usually the actors can't play at all, even though they say they can. Um, yeah. And then it comes from also like, because in every sports movie, it's the same. The team sucks in the beginning and they're supposed to win the championship. But yeah. you're hiring real actors and I hire real athletes to play the other team. So, so then I have to do that and hire them and, 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 and kind of merge it together. And it sounds amazing. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's awesome, but it's also like a pure lesson on communication. Because yeah. you're on set with the most passive people on earth because they're all production people. Yeah. You never get an answer until you come on and say, okay, this is what we're going to be now. But then you can't be too type a personality because they'll be in, insecure in many ways. So it's, yeah. yeah, it's doing all that. It's a super up and down world. So like, uh, I, I, I did slam ball when I was I'm 43 now. So I did slam ball when I was like 23 or 24. Okay. And then after that I did, um, Coach Carter, rebound with Martin Lawrence, and then the okay. longest yard. So that's okay. like three, that's about two and a half years of work. After yep. that, nothing. Crickets for like four years. Maybe a couple huh. commercials here and there. So then, um, so th that's why I'd always go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, and, and even my time at Duke, I probably did about two projects, but that's, but that's about okay. it. And so you, and then you end up being like, I'm, I'm a referee on a bunch of, of all of them. I mean, I have this referee look. You and I have the same look bald beer yeah. <laughs> like we're a referee total, total like, cliche stereotype yeah. <laughs> so so that's that's what uh what I, I was blessed that when i left duke this opportunity came up this is a show that's going to be on apple tv it's with ice cube son um and i did a few other ones uh, so what is it what what is the show I, i'm missing i'm missing oh yeah part. sorry it's the show you're doing so it's called swagger it's basically kevin durant is one of the producers and okay. it's loosely based on like aau basketball um so like you have characters you have a coach you have a shoe deal you have okay all the you know you have then there's there's like a girl character who plays you know who then is like getting abused by the coach i mean there's like they're tackling so much in 10 episodes i'm like i'm gonna have season two we gotta tackle everything so it's kind of like the take have you seen all american on uh i haven't no yeah it's no. okay neither have i but it's but it's huge <laughs> My son okay. watches it, and it's sort of like that, sort of like Beverly Hills 90210 with basketball okay. in an urban okay. setting and, yeah. and all, yeah. all that stuff. So, so yeah, it's, it's, I'm just waiting for it to come back. And so it's allowed so me Orlando, to work and everything. Talk to me about this. Um, I have observed, so just since coronavirus, I've gotten like, like big time into like Netflix, right? Like mm -hmm. probably a total another stereotype, right? Like oh, all over Netflix during coronavirus. Um, you know, so I, I'm an athletic director, which means it's usually 60, 65 hour weeks every week. Right. Um, and so like, there's just no time for stuff like that, but now I've got some time for that. One of the things that I have absolutely loved about the, really the internet based TV or the, or the binging idea is that episodes are not 
in essence, 30 minutes long with 30 minutes of, car- of commercials in it. Like episodes are like 50 minutes of right. pure content. That has been like incredible. Like the way you can unpackage a story. Uh, and so th- that all being said, is the 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 swagger that you're working on right now, how hard is that to create that much content? Like you're talking 10 I don't know. Is it 10 30 minute episodes? Is it 10 50 minute episodes? Yeah. I've been blown away by the layers. So like Ozark, like every episode's like 55 minutes to an hour and five minutes. Like, so they can just pull characters apart on every level. I mean, really, really engrossing, you know, right. What, what's, what's Swagger going to end up like? So it's, it's supposed to be 10 episodes. It could end up eight because of what's going on. But, um, so, so just to give you an example, it takes about 12 to 15 days to shoot one episode. Okay. Right. Yeah. So yeah. in that one episode, you're you're trying, and then but based on the schedule and the actor schedule, sometimes you have to film, let's say episode two and three at the same time. Um, which, you know, but which is crazy. Is there's a different director. There could be a different director. It could be different producers. So there's so many. Different How do you keep it all straight? It, it, it they try <laughs> to, but it's not. And then everyone complains, like, oh, there's no organization. It's hard. Like, it's just yeah. hard. Even for me, I'll, I'll look like, or we have rehearsal or practice, and they come in the gym, like, what, what team is this? Oh, this is episode two. Okay. Well, then, who are those guys? Oh, that's for episode three. Oh, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> all, right. all right. All right. We'll be That's crazy. Fine. We'll be fine. And the other thing is this. They don't know how to film action. So they think that, like, we're going to film it like regular TV, where they call it a wide angle. But so the way they film it is this. Let, let's say you and I are in a basketball scene. They have to get a wide angle, which is like all of us. Uh-huh. Then they have to get like inside the play. And on this show, they have a rollerblader who's basically in the play while this stuff is going on. Then they have to pick up your facial expressions when you make a shot. And then if, if I get burned, I'm like, ah, oh. and then coach is yelling at me. I'm like, and then, all these different angles oh man that you're that, that you're getting so it's it's so I, i've done that and i've worked on documentaries following people and like all right this is how we're gonna I, I did a pilot for nba tv that never got picked up it was um, for nba scouting how scouts work in the nba and 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 it's it's similar but it's it's hard too because you're you're taking so much film like over and over again and when you see like one play one guy make a basket that could be like three hours of work yeah four hours of work doing the same play and you're trying to get your athletes to look the same intensity for three to four hours that is i'm like come on guys please i resort to begging sometimes (laughs) that is unbelievable what a daunting task holy cow yeah it's 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 been great it's i think the thing like i mentioned like the ups and downs are severe because i'll get people you know they'll, they'll read my bio you know on bios like you're the greatest thing on earth yeah, right but yeah. you know as well as i do <laughs> as a parent the everyday stuff is like oh because i talked to john egan about that as well too he said let's talk about failure i said well i said i'm, I'm gonna t- t- take it this way i'm gonna look at these are more like opportunities right because if i look at them at, for i said for me personally if i look at them as a failure then i'm gonna get lower with me if i could find them as an opportunity then, okay, then I could grow. I said, John, I'm not trying to change your, what you're doing at all. I just said, for me, Percy, this is how I can, right? How I can, that's why I think it's important when people talk about leadership and communication, culture and all that stuff, like well, it's what works for you. 
right? It, yep. It's a similar message, but what works for you? Yep. And so like for me, I'm super fluid with everything because something may change tomorrow. And how do you pivot? And how do you pivot again? How do you pivot yep. again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, you'll love this story then. Uh, so years ago, years ago, I'm sitting in a coaching clinic um, and it's one of those like Nike clinics, you know, so big names from all over the place coming to some junior college gym or whatever. I'm sitting in a gym, I think outside of Pittsburgh uh, and Billy Donovan's going to present. Um, and this is when Donovan's, you know, just won back-to-back national championships for Florida, whatever. Donovan gets up and he opens up the presentation by saying, um, I don't want anyone in here to adopt what I'm about to share with you. He went on and talked for like 60 minutes. I, I don't remember anything he said, but I do remember this. He said, I don't want you to adopt what I'm about to share with you. He said, I want you to adapt one thing. He said, because what works for me at Florida, a football first school in which somehow we've figured out how to achieve some pretty special things will not work anywhere else. And what works somewhere else would not work for me at Florida, you know? And so I, I share that all, anytime I'm going to present to people, I always open with that Donovan story. And I say, listen, if you get one little tiny detail that you're going to walk away with and try, then that's, that, that's total success. Right. But if you walk out of here with all my notes and PowerPoints and you're just going to go ahead and stick the whole thing right into whatever you're doing, that's going to be a dumpster fire. Yeah. And you're going to think I'm an idiot right? Like I'm just telling you right now, like so much of this is so particular to the personalities of the people you work with, the, uh, the temperature of the organization itself, you know, like there's, there's things that I can't do at the King's Academy, even though I've got some pretty significant resource. My entire coaching staff is like former professional athletes, former division one champions. It's life in South Florida, right? Right. Like it's just everyone that did that now lives in South Florida, right? So like when I put out uh, and let's say we've got a, a varsity position, a varsity opening for football, I'll get 25 former division one players that played in the SEC wow. that want to come coach, you know, right. but that's, that's every AD in South Florida. So it doesn't make that special, but there's things that I can't do at Kings that were wildly successful at the small little blue collar private school. I was an AD at just outside New York city simply because the organizations are just different. The people right. are different. The temperature is different. The precedents are different. And so you're a hundred percent right. You know, like it's really, really hard to take someone else's model of success and try and apply it where you're at. Like it just, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you're a hundred percent right about that. Now, how, how long have you been there? So I've been at Kings four years now. I've okay. been in education for 19 um, I've been an AD for 15 of those 19 wow. years. Um, I kind of fell butt backwards into it probably earlier than I should have, but I was in the good grade. I was at a small school in Manassas, Virginia. Uh, and um, I was in the good graces of the AD. I was just one of his phys ed teachers and coaches. I was coaching middle school, JV stuff, like just yeah. kind of 22 years old, loving it. Me and my wife yeah. married, no kids, no mortgage, no loans, no bills. I mean, we were just <laughs> killing it, you know? <laughs> Um, and so, um, I kind of volunteered myself to be his unofficial assistant AD. Um, I, I, I grew up in a sport family. Uh, my father's an educator, but he was also a coach inside of schools. And so like sports has just always been the coach student athlete relationship mm-hmm. is really where everything pivots for me. Um, that relationship is just prime for massive life impact on young people. Absolutely. Um, I was, a I was, I was a positive result of that. You know, mm-hmm. coaches can screw that up too. And, and yeah, yeah. really work kids. I was blessed, you know, for whatever reason, God's plan for my life was just to always be around coaches that just were crushing it on like the, Hey, I'm going to mentor kids level. 
And so even all my college coach, my college coach who had a huge impact on my life, other than my father, probably the biggest impact, man, he was, he was a nut job, like in all the right ways, he was a total nut job. Um, but the only thing that mattered more than being great at basketball was really raising young men to be great fathers and husbands, you know, 18 right. to 22 year olds. He crushed that for me in my life. Um, and to the point where like, it, I, it, I still have lightning in my veins over it. So anyway, all of that is really fresh in my mind at 22 years old. I end up helping out this AD as his unofficial assistant AD for a couple of years. He stuns everyone and leaves the position to take a princeling position at the same school. But he makes a deal with the board kind of behind the scenes. Hey, listen, Chris needs to be the next AD. He said, I'll keep an eye on him because I'm like 26 at the time or right. whatever. Right. Yeah. He says, I I'll, I'll keep an eye on him. It'll be fine. You know, and so I get this offer from our board to be the next AD, you know, and I jumped out. I was like, frick, yeah, let's go, you know, yeah. and this school was gracious enough to let me stub my toe and, and help keep me from stubbing my toe on things. And and that's just kind of evolved from here. So I spent 10 years after that in the New Jersey area, right outside of the city. Great experience. Central Jersey is a real place. I love it. Um, yeah. And then um, down here in South Florida for four years now. And um, it's been it's been an awesome evolution for me as a leader to really pick up what I think are probably the most current relevant models of leadership styles of leadership, which is really your number two, your two biggest goals should be serve the people you're responsible for and facilitate their success, mm -hmm. like remove obstacles, cast vision and help them go chase the vision, help them get excited about the vision. And so over the last four years, I've had the pleasure of doing that here at Kings and, um, the coaches have been awesome. The kids have been awesome. Like, like it's been a little bit storybook. Like we've had like stuff that's never happened before in the history of our school happened in the last three or four years. And we got kids that are on the verge of being Olympians and kids yeah. winning player of the year in the state. And like all this crazy stuff's happened because these coaches were just, they were just dialed up, ready to rock. You know, they just needed somebody to say, Hey, listen, this is the most important thing you'll ever do in your life. Go for it. Right. And that, that was me. And they just took off and rocked it, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm just standing around bragging about it and posting the social media about it now. So, um, so that's kind of, that's kind of the quick rundown, earned a doctorate while I was down here. And, um, because my coaches were crushing it, got some awards, you know, cause people think, well, the coaches crushing the AD must be doing something. So, um, that's just kind of been the story here and it's been, it's been awesome. And 75 degrees all January, February, March oh, that's is worth awesome. every inch of the move. <laughs> Man, that is, that's awesome. I, I love what you said. The most current relevant leadership stuff or in communication stuff is so important because I think the world evolves all the time. And I yep. think guys like you, guys like me who, who have been in it recently, you know, there, there's been great leadership people who it's almost like college professors and there's nothing wrong with any of it, but you've been in the education realm. You've been in the consultant realm for so long that sometimes there could be an out of touch, right? Things are a little out of touch, but you are in it every single day, right? I am still in it with my team in New Zealand, with these actors, with my time yep. at Duke, like you're in it. You, you see the evolution from communication to how the kids take in information, how they give out information. Like it's so Important. Like, so when I go, I, I you know, I, I do, I, I do decent on like speaking engagements, but I'm always, they're always like, why, why Hernando? I'm like, listen, I'm not tall. Like I'm not Phil Jackson. I don't have like a best-selling book. I don't have any of that stuff, but what I am, I'm like you guys, right? Like I'm like you guys, cause I'm in the thick of it every single day 
Like yep. when you have kids at your age, when you have kids at my age, when you're around, you see how they communicate. You see what moves them and what doesn't move them. And when you take away the judgment from it, they're more inclined to fall in love with it. Like, it's like what you just yep. said. Like they have to fall in love with it. And, and, and parents forget that so much. You know, they want the return, of, to return on investment. What am I yes, paying for my trainer? What am I, what am I paying King's <laughs> Academy for? You know how much it yep. is to go there? You know, all these things. So they want, and it's like, yo, you're not, you're not understanding. Yeah. <laughs> Let your kid flourish. Like yep. remove yourselves because then they feel the pressure. I do, um, I have about five clients I do mental training with. And there's a 6'8 okay. kid. He, he's in Virginia here. His mom is on him about eating. Like you have to gain weight. You have to gain weight. And, and, and it's causing stress on him. I said, let me ask you this, because he's diagnosed ADHD. I said, have you ever seen an overweight person with ADHD? He was like, no. I was like, yeah, listen, take that. I'll talk to your mom. We'll get the food out of the way. You'll, <laughs> you'll gain weight later on. That's just the way people are. I said, I've yep. gained weight now. I'm 43. Shit, I got to stop eating. You know, <laughs> you'll reach there. But yep. it's so, man, I, I, I love everything you're saying, because it's so, so true, man. And I love that you're doing it at that level because that's got to be a high stress environment with the coaches but then the parents of the yeah, kid yeah it, it really here's where it isn't um it be again we, we live in the information age right and that's one of the reasons that like you can't be like like the lone sheriff type leadership doesn't work anymore you know the sage on the stage stuff doesn't work anymore it's all about being the guide on the side because the informational hierarchy has been flattened because of the internet you can't hide anything from anyone Right. So you can't really position yourself as some like monopoly on some particular piece of information just doesn't work that way because they're going to find out real fast anyway, which one Google search, you know, and one skim through Twitter or looking at a couple experts, they're going to know as much as you know. Um, And so what's so important, though, is because people are over informed and they're platformed, meaning they have their social media account. I don't care if it's a mom that has 55 followers on Twitter, you know, or it's some dad at our school that's a CEO that has 100,000 followers on Twitter. They're all platform. They all have their platform, which means they're going to go share their voice. If you as a leader in an organizational setting can control the narrative mm-hmm. around your organization, then they're, they'll take your narrative. They want a narrative. They demand a narrative. And if you don't provide it, they'll provide one and it'll probably be to the negative, right? right. But if you'll provide them with a narrative, they'll actually become like mavens for you. It's what uh, Malcolm Gladwell calls mavens, you know, people that are just incredible passers along of information they're incredible Mm. incredible connectors you know they'll become mavens for you they'll take your narrative and they'll share it everywhere if you provide it to them and so that's that's i probably think an underestimated part of organizational leadership right now is listen you have to if you don't tell your story someone's going to tell it for you and it probably won't be the story you want told (laughs) you know and so now there's a lot that goes into that you want to make sure there's accuracy you want to make sure that what you're sharing is actually what's happening like there's a whole moral authority thing that goes along with it there but you're 100 percent right in the fact that like I mean, long gone are the days of like, you know, people just, you know, leaders just kind of my way or the highway, you know, it just doesn't. And so that's probably one of the biggest things that I've had an opportunity to kind of practice at Kings is I've kind of, you know, you were talking about people that are in the mix, you know, you're, there's either philosophers, people that just spend a lot of time thinking and writing about it, but they're not actually doing it. Right. Well, you got practitioners, people that are actually practicing it. I've really tried to like kind of pursue both. Mm-hmm. so that I can take what I think are really highly intellectual, multi-layered, 
ways to influence people and then actually practice them, you know? And so I've tried to merge both of those things together, which is a little time consuming, but let me tell you something, you know, it's a hundred percent worked in the sense that, man, I love those coaches. They, for the most part, love me. And like, we're just, our arms are just linked now, right? Like we're just leaning in together, you know, during this. And it's been totally worth its weight in gold during this particular time. You know, because at the end of the day, especially in a private school where people are choosing how to spend their discretionary income on whether or not to educate their kids at our school, like, uh, and we live in a day and age where kids get to decide that for the parents, like the kid, the parents will let the kids choose that. You know, I told my coaches, like, listen, like, like this is huge for us. Like if you can maintain an authentic connection with your student athletes, they will continue to tell their parents to choose the King's Academy after this is all over. That's huge. Like we've got to crush this right now, you know, and because of all the other stuff I've been talking about, you know, the, the coaches and I, I've got five directors that work in my department. I've got 80 coaches, 25 of them are varsity heads, um, you know, and so like, like we have just been leaning in together, like how in the world can we continue to stay connected to each other and then connect with our student athletes so that they'll want to choose us after this is all over, because lots of people are trying to decide where to spend their money right now. Uh, because the economy is a little shaky and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, I, I just get fired up about our mission. I get fired up about our coaches and the opportunity we have in athletics to really impact young people. What you just said is something that we're definitely on the same playing level here because you're, you said that, you know, the kids are the ones telling their parents, you know, where, <laughs> where they want to go to school. It's the same thing. I, when I talk to college coaches, I tell the coach, I said, you, your kids today have been involved in the decision-making process of their life and their family's lives for years. You know, I said, when I was growing up, my dad, if we went on a vacation, would say, all right, this is where we're going. Now it's, hey, let's <laughs> yep. have a meeting. Let's get to Where do you want to go? Where do you want to yeah. go? Where do you want to go? You know, so then like, so, so when they get to college and they're not involved in the process, when they're not being asked, not because they, they want to go ahead and going to dictate, but no, they... They just want to feel like it's called collaborating coaches that like they want to collaborate with you. They want to feel right. Yep. Two things people need every day. They have to feel like they're important and for trust and hope. You give them trust and hope. They will feed off you every single day. I love that you say that, man, because coaches, college coaches don't, some of them don't get it. Respect all the college coaches, but yeah. some of them just don't get it. And well, it. and how could they, like, they didn't really experience that, you know, they, you know, so, so much of what we do is either things that just naturally we experienced, or we have intentionally put ourselves into those experiences. Um, and working in the educational realm, you know, I have so much interaction with young people just by the nature of it, you know, so I've kind of intentionally put myself in there and then, you know, everything at that point, you're just kind of catching by observation. Um, but you're hundred percent right. I mean, how many times growing up did we, did our parents come to us to solve a problem? Never, no. never. But now right. let me tell you something. Every tech problem I have, I go to my kids, <laughs> you know, every phone problem, every laptop problem. And since we're on our phone and laptops 26 hours a day, like they're literally solving problems that are helping me exist, you know? Right. And that sends a message to children that, listen, you're important, you're influential, you're matter. And so when we all of a sudden want to treat them like they're not influential, they're not important, they don't matter guess what? All hell is going to break loose. All hell is going to break loose on that because they're like, Hey, bring me your phone next time. Sucker. Watch me tell you, right. no, you know, I'm yeah. not helping you get that, you know? And so, <laughs> so it's hard for people to kind of 
understand that. That's why I think like at this age that you and I are at, we're kind of really well positioned mm-hmm. to have really significant influence on, on other leaders, on student athletes, on, on all sorts of people because we're so digital refugees is the third category. Those are people that like, they will just never really get it. Right. <laughs> like it's just too far beyond them. You know, it's like our grandparents, right. You know, staring at, you know, God rest in peace. All four of my grandparents are now passed, but like, it's like them looking at their phones and trying to figure out a text message. Like they'll just never get there. Right. right. You know, but digital immigrants are the ones that not only know how to use it, but also know how to interpret it, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's where the digital natives, which is our kids, basically, they know how to use it. Sometimes they don't know how to interpret it because they don't know life without it, you know? And that's where like some of those negative effects of social, the social media use, the increased anxiety, the, mm-hmm. the FOMO, if you're missing out, all that kind of stuff can really wreck kids, you know, because they just, they don't know how to interpret what they're looking at. And again, that's where people like you and I, I think have like a real big opportunity to really positively influence people. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's why at like actively listening, like intentionally listening yes, is so like important. And I know it's, it's, it's hard. Like it's, it's just, it's just one of those things in life, you know, you hear it all the time, but it is hard, especially when you have like 35 different things going on as an AD and, and whatever I'm doing. Like there's so many information where it's like, you got, just got to stop. I'm like, okay, what, what can I do to serve you? Now, now I've used like, all right, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to everything you say, but we've got to keep it under 50 words. Can we keep it under 50 <laughs> words? Right. So they're more conscious of, of what they're saying as well too. How did you get your, um, your staff to buy into like your philosophy way of thinking? Yeah. 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 So before you can change them, You've got to convince them that you're one of them. Mm. Um, and so that, so I, I had the opportunity to spend about two years really just serving. I wrote an article maybe two years ago, um, a theory on how to connect with your new community. And it's called, it's, it's how to make your home CASA, C-A-S-A. So play off the Spanish word there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was um, connect, it was ask, it was serve, and it was aim, you know, keep developing yourself professionally, you know, so, so that CASA kind of theory I came up with, um, just thinking and reading and talking to some people as I was making the transition from New Jersey to South Florida, I thought, okay, like I need a really, this is going to be very disorienting. You know, I'm like, I'm like uh, late thirties now. So I understand like, there's some things about me that are getting rigid at late thirties, you know, some of my mindsets and all right. Um, I'm about to go from a blue collar private school in the suburbs of New York City, Central Jersey, very middle class life to a very white collar school in South Florida, West Palm Beach, everything you think about, like the Miami Heat culture, that's what this is going on down here, you know, and so like that's going to be really disorienting. But at the end of the day, influencing people is influencing people, positively impacting people is positively impacting people. So I kind of came up with this framework, if you will, of connect with people, find every way I could to create relation with people ask every question I could think of, you know, everything from like, don't be afraid to ask where the broom closet is, you know, where don't be afraid to ask, you know, about, you know, all sorts of stuff that I think you would assume, you know, listen, when you go to a new organization, you don't know anything, Mm -hmm. you know, so don't be afraid to ask every question, you know, serve people, you know, when people need help, find ways to go help them. And then aim was like my way to kind of keep my head up above the fray keep developing professionally. That's where I kept working on my doctorate and some other certifications, stuff like that. So I say all that to say that that model right there of CASA probably helped me integrate mm. as fast as could be expected. 
Um, I love people that, that, you know, that's just something God's wired into my DNA. I really love people. I love right. being around people. I love talking to people, love, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that probably was advantageous as well. Um, and then, so at that point, once that Casa really took hold over two years, then I was be able to begin to like verbalize a vision, um, our, our mission and our vision and begin to help people kind of migrate towards it. Not because the vision mission was all that smart or I was all that smart, but because they just were beginning to perceive me as one of them. Right. Mm. And so like one, when one of us comes up with an idea, yeah, it's about us, let's go. You know? And so again, I think that's something that people in today's fast moving age, day and age, um, people do struggle to slow down and let some of those leadership ideas just ferment, you know, like, like I had to take two, two and a half years to kind of just let those seeds be planted, let them in two, two and a half years really isn't a long time, but it feels like it when you're trying to impact people and you're trying <laughs> right. to make headway and stuff like that, you know? So, um, so anyway, that would probably, that CASA mentality framework probably helped me to position me that they would buy in. You know, and then there's all sorts of stuff on moral authority. You could talk about moral authority is just a bunch of mores. Like you're, you're going to keep everyone out. You're going to more so you, you do all those mores long enough and you, you, you gain moral authority. Okay. Yeah. What, what you're saying and what you're doing now match up to the point where that inspires, me. Mm -hmm. you know? And so, you know, you take off from there with it. So, um, you can tell I spend way too much time reading too. No, it's awesome. about this stuff. And <laughs> so, no, it's it's um, awesome. You need it, right? Like it's yeah. I think I, I love that one of us mentality. Like it you're absolutely right. Like when you have that, when they have that, they're more inclined to be more comfortable, to come to you more, to you know, get yep. feedback and and understand, you know, because right, they always say criticism and feedback is the exact same thing, but it's how you come across, it's how they feel comfortable around you. I mean, all those things that are, I think that are talked about, but it's so hard to implement over time with it. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I think everything you're doing is, is, is amazing. Now, why, why Kings Academy? Why Palm Beach, Florida? Oh, you there? There we go. There we go. You just came back in. You, 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 you glitched out there for a second. Repeat that. Yeah, no, I was just saying, like, why, so how did, how did the King's Academy opportunity come up? Yeah, yeah, um, six degrees of separation, like, like so many things in life, you know, um, the, they were, um, King's was getting ready to kind of double down on athletics. So one of the things that's really weird, unique, not weird, but really unique about our place is that in most schools, athletics are far and away is the front porch and everything else, all those after school programmings are kind of second. The reverse is actually true at Kings, where our fine arts program is like one of the top fine arts programs in the whole world. Mm. Uh, we've got a $10 million theater. Um, we've got uh, this director of creative arts who kind of leads the whole thing that is just a genius um, on every level you could imagine. Um, a genius from connecting with people, a genius to holding kids accountable, a genius to casting vision. He's just phenomenal. Um, and athletics was a little bit lagging behind, you know, in all of that. And so they just needed to kind of go a different direction. I had a friend down here at King's that I hadn't seen in a long time. We crossed paths at a conference in Cleveland, Ohio. Right. He floats a crazy idea at me. I was like, no, I'm good. I was at a school I loved, people I loved. Um, and um, he calls maybe six months later. No, maybe it was a little less time, maybe three months later. He says, hey, listen, let me get you and your wife plane tickets. Let me just fly you down here. Just see the place and just, just hear me out on this. 
So I was like, okay, yeah, let, let's check it out. Um, we were at a phase where if we were going to make a change, the time was now because my daughter was about to finish middle school and go to high school. So mm. once she started high school, we really didn't want to uproot that if we didn't have to. And so me and me and my wife were both raised in the exact same town for 22, the first 22 years of our life, you know? And so that's so rare anymore, you know, because the world is so small, it's transient. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a little bit of that that was valuable to us in the sense, like we wanted them to really stay at the same school as much as we could possibly control. And so we knew, Hey, listen, if, if we're going to entertain something like this now, times now, so we went down, you know, had a ridiculous visit and blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, we're moving to South Florida. Um, and so <laughs> that's how I landed here. And here's the crazy thing is the director of creative arts down here, his younger brother and his cousin, who are both the same age, I roomed with in college. I was college basketball teammates yeah. with the cousin. So, and they, and all of the brothers and cousins look just like each other. Like it's weird, right? And so, and the the brother and the cousin were both in my younger brother and brother's weddings, mm. right? So like there was this crazy connection between these two. Um, my last name's Hobbs, his last name's Snyder. My first day of work, I remember it, July 5th, 2016, I'm walking down the hallway of my office and I walk past the director of creative arts and we both froze. And, and he's this little guy. He's very short. Yeah. He looks up at me and I look down at him. He goes, you're a Hobbs. I said, you're a Schneider. You know, and the rest, the rest is history, you know, and we're, we're good friends. Um, That's he awesome. is just a. Man, you want to talk about a dude that just passionately pursues impacting young people and excellence. I mean, he just crushes it. Um, and so um, he works. I don't know a fine arts director that puts in the hours he does. I mean, every every hour my car is on campus, his car is on campus. Right. The guy is just unbelievably committed to doing everything he can through the medium of fine arts to impact young people. And he crushes it. I mean, I mean, he's got a $10 million theater that has been built recently. He's been at the school 20 years. He's an alum. He taught at Michigan for a while in the okay. fine arts, you know, venue, you know, discipline. He's been nominated for some Tony Awards. He worked on Broadway for a while. So he's got all the credentials. But the most important thing he's got is a very clear reason for why he does it. Mm. Um, and that just that just keeps his his fire fueled all the time. So he, he and I have had a really good time kind of like building these twin towers of athletics and fine arts at our school to the point where like he, he's super proud of what we got going on. I'm super proud of what he's got going on. And it's good because we only got 600 kids in our high school. So we share right. kids. Yeah. You know, like there's a chance my linebacker on Friday night in the winter is dancing on his stage, right. you know, in the winter, you know, so like <laughs> we share the same kids. So, you know, if we want to fight over kids, you know, the kids will lose in that scenario. Right. right. Like, 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 it's not like he'll lose or I'll lose. The kid loses when the adults are fighting over him. Um, and so, um, you know, we've been real blessed in the fact that we just have a huge respect for each other. and We, we have good chemistry with each other. And so that's kind of the story of coming down to Kings and some of the things I've experienced. Man, that's awesome. That, that, been a blast. that is awesome. <laughs> I love your thought process and like your leadership and, and, and what you're building. I mean, there's, there's just, you know, there's people who, again, like there's people who try and talk about it, but implementing it is tough. You know, you talk about yeah. two, two and a half years, which you're right. It doesn't seem long, but it can be long based on where your mind puts it. And you took the steps within everything else and, and you just keep growing it and growing it, man. And that's, and it's, and I, I just consider like that area is, is hard because you also have a lot of people with a lot of opinions. 
yeah. you know yep, so when you, yep, you're around yep, a lot yep. of opinionated people which is good you know they want to flex their muscle but you're 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 i don't like using the word putting out fires it's more like you're you're a politician you're calming everything you talk about a narrative you're forming the narrative you're getting people on board on your on your narrative on your platform and then they see it you give them trust and hope and then all of a sudden you know you just take working. off and run with it yeah yeah yep, yep. when when leaders Hernando, when leaders have their mission or their purpose really clear on the forefront of their minds, it's amazing the criticism Mm. or the opinions that they can listen to. And it's amazing how many things they can say, yeah, we can do that. Um, Because the things that will really derail your mission and vision are, are actually very few. And when you're clear on it, you know exactly where the line is. You know exactly where the line is where you can look at someone and say, listen, we can't do that. And here's exactly why, you know, and it's mostly because it doesn't align with mission or vision. Um, and so if it does align with mission or vision, or it doesn't disrupt mission or vision, it's incredible. The stuff you can say yes to, you know, yeah. or it's incredible. The stuff you can give back to people and say, listen, that's a great idea. Could you tell me how you would make that happen for us? You know, because so many times they're coming in thinking you're going to do it for them. You know, <laughs> right. I, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it for you, but I am the gatekeeper. I'm right. the gate. Let you come in and do it. That's know? right. So that's right. Um, but uh, it all boils down in those conversations and those decision making processes. Like, how clear are you on your mission and mission and vision? And if you're clear on those things, it's I'm telling you, man, it's incredible the stuff we can say yes to. And people are like, well, why'd you say yes to that? Oh, here's why I said yes to it. Here's our mission. Here's what the vision of that mission being made looks like. Mm-hmm. Tell me how that gets in the way of that. And they're like, well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't get in the way of that. In fact, if we position it right, it might actually add value to the mission and the vision. Right. You know, And so those, that's, again, where it boils down to if, if you think you've got the monopoly on information, like, right. boy, you're going to get chewed up real <laughs> fast, right? You know, so, um, so stuff like that has been a lot of fun to learn. Mm-hmm. And then think, okay, listen, like there's some really smart people out here that are saying these things. So like, I'm going to be kind of stupid if I don't try them, you know? And then that's where, you know, the, the, the philosopher and practitioner, you try and merge them together if you can. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, you usually so far, we've been really blessed. A lot of people really leaning in with us. Yeah. That's awesome. Chris, man, I hope you don't mind. I think I'm going to use this as a podcast. I'm actually going to make okay. this a podcast because you've, <laughs> said some amazing nuggets and i usually record everything anyways um okay. to use as sound bites but no this has been man it's it's awesome so what we have to do now we have to do the ending of the podcast where i ask you okay what actor you're going to be because i'll edit all that stuff and then i'm going <laughs> to go ahead and ask you to give your contact information and then we'll do like a quick ending all right because okay. this has been okay. this has been let's gold man i love it all right here we go here we go. let's do it three two one man chris i love everything you're saying you know this is the last question that we ask everybody on the Be Contagious Leadership Experience, when they make the full featured film on Netflix, since you love Netflix, who <laughs> is playing you? Okay, so I am uh, 6'3", 230 pounds. Um, <laughs> I spent a lot of time lifting weights. Uh, and so I'm going for The Rock, 100% yes, The Rock. I'm bald. I got like some gruff going on. Um, but I'm going for the rock, not necessarily because of physical features, but because I really do think he has evolved as an actor into a legitimately good, yes. um, you know, inspiring actor. And so that's that's probably mostly why I would say um, the rock. So Dwayne Johnson, um, 
if in some weird reality you're actually listening to this and you're actually <laughs> following her Ornando, following Ornando or I on Twitter, I got you targeted, man. <laughs> man, that is awesome. I love it. Chris, tell me where people can reach out to you, find more about your mission, what you do, and your school. Yep, yep. So for me, Twitter is not about followers. Twitter is about connection and relationships. Um, I have Hernando, you and I right now is almost exclusively a Twitter connection. Yeah. Um, I've got John Egan, who runs the Studying Failure podcast, almost exclusively a Twitter connection. So right now during coronavirus, Twitter's been everything. And so that would be true for me. So I, I'm not interested in the followers, but I am interested in connecting and, and having a relationship out there. So if you'd like to be part of that, catch up with some of the stuff I'm talking about, thinking about um, at dr underscore Chris Hobbs. So at doctor underscore Chris Hobbs. I'd love to connect with anyone out there. Awesome. Man, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. It is awesome. You are a steward of change, and I love it, man. Thanks so much. Awesome. Hernando, be contagious, brother. I'm telling you, I had no idea that this conversation with Dr. Chris Hobbs was going to go in that direction. He just dropped some nuggets that I hope will be helpful for you in your life, with your team, with your partner, whoever that you come across. So Dr. Hobbs, I appreciate you coming on the BCLE. Guys, don't forget, please head over to iTunes. Would love to get your feedback, comments, uh, concerns if you have any about the podcast. But rate us one through five. Would love to hear what you think about it. It will be truly, truly appreciated. And then guys, don't forget, head over to HernandoPlanels.com. Pick up your brand new, your own version of the high-performing gratitude journal. It's designed to help you and take your life and your players' lives and your employees' lives to a whole nother level. So head over to that website and pick it up. And as always, I love to hear from you. Keep sliding into the DMs. Keep sending me emails. Want to hear what's going on in your life. We're going through all this crazy pandemic stuff. I know that you have had some struggles because if I've had some struggles, so have you. But together, we are in this together and we could just raise us up. So don't forget, you are amazing, awesome. You are a beacon of light. I love y'all and I'll talk to you next time.